0: Temp check.
1: time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. to keep you gripped new members can try audible free for 30 days visit audible.com thrill or text thrill to 500 500 that's audible.com thrill or text thrill to 500 500
2: okay it's time to commit 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself begin your new smile journey with bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks
0: This episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? I'm feeling even better after that stank you put on cocktails. Cocktails. <laughs> I like. It wasn't. De- it wasn't deliberate, but I also feel like it was a little stanky for sure. I, I liked it. Like it in the best way. Yeah, the best kind of stank. You know. You know what it is? Is because the cadence was off. Because I always say, "What's up, everybody." But yeah. I didn't say that. I forgot, and so then I was like, "Welcome to L- L- L-. <laughs> And It ended up coming out was cocktails. So there you go. First of all, I like the spirit. Second of all, it's been a while, so it's gonna happen. Yeah, you know what? It is. It's nice to be back in the saddle with my best gal. Yeah, nowhere, yeah. uh, no way else. I'd rather spend my time. I, you know? could not agree more. I could not agree more. Um listen, couple quick things I got to get out of the way right. Look at this new notebook. I am not I'm not one to push the merch that I make on this show. I mean from time to time, but I just this episode's coming out December 6th. Yes is it right? is. Okay, great. Yes. Uh, and I do think this is the last week that I can probably guarantee delivery for before the holidays. And sure. this just arrived That's to me. So nice. On the back, Merry Christmas Chuckleheads 2022. Come on. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to mention that in case anyone is interested, truecrewmerch.com. There is Hanukkah merch this year. Very proud of that. There's bigger blankets, uh, both in the Bert and Mary, the uh, two chuckleheads and the Hanukkah designs. So check it all out if you're interested. Obviously, there's no presh, but truecrewmerch.com for all your true true crime and cocktails. Official merch needs...
3: I like that I never know what words you're going to shorten Yep. and what words you you will. I can't remember. You did one the other day that surprised me. Oh, uh, uh, during the brunch, someone said, someone recommended a book to us and you were like, I like the Rex, the Reccos," And I was just like, I
0: could not love it more. It's just a
3: delight. You never see it coming. Now I'm wishing
0: I'd said, I appreciate the parks and wrecks. You know what I mean? Like that. I do also like when you go on pop culture tangents. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know what's fun for me is that I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Hey. That's <laughs> that's part of the magic, I think, that, that, it's uh, like that a... I bring to this show. <laughs> it's you... like a surprise party nonstop. Yeah. I mean, you meticulously researched me. <laughs> Doesn't know what's going to happen now, unless I've researched. In which case, then I've, I'm uh, I got my eye on the prize. But yeah, no, just in generally Elise, no, oh, no in these, no, no idea. In my no defense, clue. I'm you. I mean, I don't know why I'm defending myself when you're just very
3: complimentary. But in my defense, I'm a boob.
0: Like <laughs> I say, I like that. That's defending yourself. Calling yourself <laughs> a boob is your own defense.
3: Well, because I'm like whoa, 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 whoa. I'm no square. <laughs> I think, I'm not
0: calling you a square.
3: I think is where I was trying to go with that. I'm not a nerd. I so am, but still, there's nothing wrong with being a nerd. I got in trouble for this. I know. I don't even remember what it was. I did get in trouble for.
0: I do. I won't share of it. But I what I will share. <laughs> I, what I will share is that one time when we were Christy would have been oh early teens. I want to say. Uh, She did get in trouble for something, was taken out of the room to have a little bit of a talking to. And when she came back, it was almost like she popped her collar. It was like she was like, I got in trouble for this. (laughs) It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So you're cool. cool. Don't try and hide it. I was cool once that in that one moment. And just as quickly as it came, it was gone again. Listen, I don't know if that's true. I, I also was going to say, you ain't no Poindexter. That was what was <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. You ain't no Poindexter. Yeah. We would have like been a s- hit in the 50s. Really would have. Really would have. Um, Now listen, a couple quick things we got to talk about before we get into the episode. This episode, of course, is the Drew Peterson episode of the show, yeah. which was our October patrons poll pick. Uh, over on Patreon, you can vote in a monthly poll to choose an episode that we cover on this main feed of the podcast. This was October's pick, um, so we're gonna we're gonna get into all things that case in a few minutes. But we've got lots of things to talk about before we get there. Um, in what is you know becoming the uh, chat portion of the show, chat portion. <laughs> what is becoming? It's always yeah. been this. It's, it's always been this. We've just never given it a title.
3: Yeah, but I like the officialness of I- the title. You know what I, I? This is where I like to get my promos. So I'm just waiting with bated breath for that magical word that comes out of your mouth, and I go, "Ah, there it is." <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And then she takes a note. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, I, uh, I, we've got a couple of updates, uh, or an update on a case. We've got all kinds of things uh, to hit, but obviously, uh, one thing we have to hit before we we go anywhere is, uh, "What are you drinking over there?" Oh, um. I, I'd say and
3: a water. I forgot my water. I was in such a rush to make sure I got here. Uh, I'll get it at the break. Cause always stay hydrated. Always again, Boindexter. Uh But uh, I'm just currently doing a, a slurpee on one of the coldest damn days we've had so far. I love to yeah. see that for you.
0: You know what? There's a. Certain, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. There's a certain kind of spirit that can have a cold drink on a cold day, and I'm I'm also yeah. one of those people. So kudos. Oh, I.
3: I also complained the entire time my skin touched the air. Yeah. Um, even did like an, Ooh, like the second I left the store holding my drink uh, in mittens, thank God. Uh, got home and was like, I need a minute to warm up and
0: then I'll get into it.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: I mean, when it's so cold, you need a minute to thaw out before you can function. I mean, that's Canada. That's yeah. uh, not all of Canada, but that's definitely parts of Canada. It is. Um, it is. Listen, I'm also taking it ace. Take it ace. Uh, with a tangerine LaCroix. That's a nice item. That's a nice, a nice beverage and a water. Because again, I always have to have at least two. But usually yeah. I have three. Maybe I'll get a glass of Elvino on the break. You know what I mean? Then hey. I'll feel like I've earned it. I'll feel like maybe it's like that's a little treat that's get, nice get through the chat portion you can get a little treat <laughs> i love I'm gonna come to up with a better- me that for you <laughs> yeah. I, we're going to get come up with a better name than chat portion i think we, had Are we maybe come up well now it's now i've got a bugaboo about it also just so you know what's okay. in my line of view fox ripping his butt across the across a throw rug just itching it so hard pulling himself along what i like is he's never put himself in my line of view for a podcast record ever uh but there he is i see you bud are you getting it oh he's getting it for sure good news direct eye contact oh you believe it the good news is he stopped rubbing his butt along the carpet and then just gave it a small sniff (laughs) oh buddy buddy you're better than that Hey, you're better than that, and you know it. You know it. Uh, but listen, that does uh, segue beautifully into something I do have to address very quickly, which, of course, is that uh, as we talk about on this podcast quite often, we have built a family of characters that are uh, parts of this podcast in one way or another. Um, the Dave Grohl's, for example, the uh, the Betty Whites of the world. Yeah. And anytime we have someone uh, pass, we we address it, and so I do have to address that if you have not, uh, fo- or if you don't follow me on social media, then you wouldn't know this either. So there you go. Um, <clears throat> I very sadly did lose my sweet peaches, my uh, my dog that uh, was my literal child. Um, so it's been a really awful time for me. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like Fox knows because normally she's the one who's poking around in my line of view while I do these records. But I can't belabor talking about it or I won't be able to function for the next two hours. But uh, just wanted to say that I appreciate uh, anyone who has taken the time to message about her passing. i um, not okay uh, whatsoever. And uh, it's a huge loss. Huge loss. We're in thick grief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Maybe on uh, that break yeah. you get two wines, Getting by. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's like it. maybe it's a two wine, two wine kind of day. And maybe on that break I'll get to see Fox do something else disgusting to bring a smile to my face. Um <laughs> but anyway, I just wanted to give her a shout out, as she was such a fixture uh on this show for so long and obviously in my life. So uh yeah, there you go. The, the only one you never speech. had to yell at. The, the only one I, I never yelled at. <laughs> Never – well, other than when – not yelling, but when I would hear her tip-tapping around. Of course. And she was, of course, so blind by the end that I was like – there was often times where you'd hear me go off mic and just yell, Pages, what are you doing?
3: That was more of a a joyful calling. A joyful calling. Whereas –
0: Whereas – Sharky! Or – Fox. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's the trifecta. Yeah. She uh always a delight and a joy just looking for me. Sharky yeah. doing something idiotic, perhaps dangerous. Yes. And then Fox just making me question him. Making me question his choices. Yeah. That's really Yeah. Uh, Fox doesn't make the best choices. I mean, today he certainly isn't. That was yeah. a real question he's he's done some things over the years listen I'm not trying to shame him he's a, he's a great dog but uh, he's done some things over the years that would make anybody really question question because he's very smart but then he'll do some things where I'm like like for example and I won't belabor it but there was the time I looked into the backyard and I was like fox what are you doing and he turned his head and a log of his own turd was sitting out of his mouth like a cigar and it was like <laughs> why Why, man you're so much better than that like he's never done it prior or since but that day i don't know if it was a bit it was almost like he was doing like groucho marks like it was ridiculous (laughs) oh yeah well
3: if if i may put in a request now yeah for fox to have a little groucho like mustache glasses kind of thing for some sort of Halloween, or maybe a cosplay that we I've somehow
0: down Fox
3: <laughs> Groucho costume. <laughs> just like, oh God, I don't even want to wait till Halloween for it. So I'm like, how do we squeeze it in a cosplay? What cosplay would we ever do where Groucho would potentially be an option? Well, People I've told
0: to fuck off. I mean, I was that's... just, <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, if we ever do the theme, Christy has told publicly. <laughs> to F off, that would be perfect. And listen, yeah, ain't no poindexters telling people to F off publicly. <laughs> Am I right? It's true. And look, I have
3: never told Fox to fuck off. Um, I've tried to get him to love me slowly, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have photos of the first time we met where he stood across the room <laughs> and just side-eyed me the whole time. <laughs> was like, listen, I'm good
0: over here. I've been trying to get Fox to love me for eight years, so yeah. it's a, it's a long, it's an uphill battle. Um, but you know, we have had a few moments over the past couple of weeks. I think he's been very attuned to my emotional uh, state, and uh, he did he did kiss me once, which is hey. amazing. It's very rare, exceptionally rare.
3: I, I think it's thankfully been years at this
0: point after long enough after poop cigar. The good news is there was a good year between poop cigar and, uh, <laughs> or as I like to call it turd stogie. Oh, nice. I was trying, in my head, I was like, what goes with stogie?
3: What could you, what what shit word could I put instead of there? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get there fast enough. It's tough. I like that.
0: It's tough stuff. I like that. Um, But listen, you told me you had an update. I do. uh, Before the show. So uh, maybe we should uh, get me into that. Get me into that. Get us into that. Well, I mean, I'm kind of already in it. So... Get you yeah.
3: into it makes sense, yeah. I don't know. Uh. Look, you could do anything, and I would be like, That makes sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it, it, impossibly supportive, it's a gift it's, in my life, <laughs> it's, it's how we work. So, on a recent episode, they
3: all run together, so I yep. couldn't possibly tell you which one. Nope. Um, uh, I gave an update on the Delphi case. Uh, that after five years, a suspect had finally been arrested and charged with the murders of 14-year-old Liberty German and 13-year-old Abigail Williams. In that specific update, I mentioned a photo of the suspect, 50-year-old Richard Matthew Allen, that had been posted on social media. He was sitting in a room that had a picture of the police sketch hanging on the wall behind him. I was originally told the photo was taken in Alan's home. I have since learned it was taken in a public bar. So it's not like they had the photo hanging up at their house that we know of. So my apologies for the error. Uh, But there has been an update on November 30th, the very day of this record. Oh, it was announced that an unspent bullet that was found within two feet of the girls' bodies had been, quote, cycled through a 40 caliber pistol that was owned by Richard Allen. Whoa. Police found the very weapon at Allen's home during a search on October 13th. It was determined that Allen purchased the gun in 2001, and according to an interview on October 26th, Allen told police he had never lent the gun to anyone else. Alan had been originally interviewed by police back in 2017 when he told them he was walking on the trail on the day the girls were killed when he saw three females at the bridge. Alan claims he didn't speak with them. He claimed he walked uh, to the Monon High Bridge and he didn't see, see anyone as he was, quote, watching a stock ticker on his phone as he walked. When Alan was interviewed in October 2022, he again claimed to have seen the three girls during his walk. He said he walked across the Monon High Bridge, then back and sat on a bench on the trail and then left. Alan also claimed he had never been to the location where the unspent bullet was found, which, then how to get there, Alan, but... Yeah. You know, Uh, there was also that video that Liberty had recorded on her cell phone of a man telling them guys down the hill. Well, according to the police early in the video, one of the girls says the word gun. So I assume that is how the suspect forced the girls down the hill to the wooden area to begin with. Allen's attorney claims the police have the wrong man, but of course they do. It's his job. Uh, And the prosecution claims they have good reason to believe that more than one person was involved in the deaths of the girls. The new update also mentions that a witness told police that while driving in the area on the day of the murders, she saw a man walking from the Monon High Bridge wearing clothes that looked, quote, muddy and bloody. The witness believed the man had been in a fight. The girl's cause of death has still not been released. But shout out to True Crew member Sharon for sharing the update with us. So, wow. we, I mean, we still don't know how they were killed, but uh, I, I mean, it's safe to assume a gun was involved if there was even
0: unspent bullets yeah. at the scene. Well, my question is this. I mean, yeah. again, because they've been so... Police have been so tight-lipped about all of the details. Very, yes. and But it's always felt like they've been kind of alluding to the fact, you know, when they would do press conferences, they would kind of allude to, like, the person could be in this room. I remember they said yes. that at least once, if not twice. So it's interesting to me because this guy has admitted to being at, essentially not at the exact scene, but being very close to the scene yep. at the time, having seen the girls... I guess my question would be is he not the man in the video then? Like so I, is that why they're saying there's they believe more than one person is involved? Because to me it's like if he if they're interviewing him, interviewing him. Yeah. And he has said, "Yes, I was there. Yes, I saw them." Then to me it's like isn't that enough to I mean again, we get into our our questions we always have about search warrants, but like then couldn't you at least search for the clothes? that match clothing that would match what was on the video. Granted, he could have gotten rid of them or burned them, but I don't know. Like, that's just... this. I think, you know what it is? I understand that the police were keeping information close to their chest, like, that, and that have been going sure. on for so long, but these feel like details that are, like... I don't know. I, I feel a little bit, like, rocked, to be honest, because it's, like, it feels like you were way closer for this, this entire time. Like, it feels like, why did this take this long? I... Have I mean, yeah.
3: I mean, my big question immediately was like, okay, well, you, I know it takes extra to get a search warrant, but you had that bullet. And you've since in the last two months have matched that bullet to the gun that you got from a suspect's house. And it's like, why did it take that many years Just to get a search warrant for his house.
0: Yeah, especially when he admits to being there
3: and his phone
0: would have pinged in the area at the exact time. Well, if he's claiming to have been looking at a stock ticker on his phone and he's like a similar build of the guy in the video. If it comes out that he is the guy in the video. I don't even know what to say. Cause then it's like, what were you, what? And I say, I say this with less judgment than I'm, it's going to seem like, but I would love to be walked through the process because I'm fascinated. How did it take this long? Cause this is just a case that has taken a, like it's a remarkable amount of time. Like that's part of what the, the case has always been. Right. Is that it's like, it's this super small town, you know, small community, all of the above. Um, which is why it rocked so many people, obviously, or part of the reason. And to me, if they had got that bullet at the time yep. if it had been put into evidence, then anybody you're talking to, well, my first thing would be asking if they have a gun and then asking if they want to volunteer it. Because if you know that you didn't have anything to do with the crime, my guess would be, some people would say, of course, no, that infringes on my rights. But some people would say, yeah, test my gun because I know that I'm not guilty and I would like to be exonerated of a murder of two children. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I don't know. And again, I don't know how these processes work or or whatever. So, again, I say this with less judgment. I'm sure than it sounds like I'm I'm giving. But, you know, like I just find that really interesting because then if 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 in a world where I'm assuming that's possible is real, they had the bullet. Then they interviewed him in 2007, you said. 2017. Yeah. 2017, excuse like, me. Like right after the crime happened. So it could have feasibly been wrapped up 4 years ago, 5 years ago. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's something it, I'm very curious what what else is going on? What else are the other details? I feel like again there's there's like now I feel like the fact that they've been sitting on this person for 5 years only testing the gun in the past month or two. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, what else are you sitting on? Because now they're finally coming out and saying, well, we believe more than one person is involved. Well, and that's the thing. Did they know it was this guy right away? Do they have some sort of DNA
3: that shows there were two or more people? Right. And so then they're like, well, we we know it's possibly him, but who else could it be? And we don't want to just go after him. We want to go after who else. And then it's like, well, well, then you approach the first guy
0: and then like and then you try and get him to rat out his buddies to get a hundred percent.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I like it feels like he has been a suspect all along. He has to have been. So it's just wild that that it took as long as it has to get where it is. I'm sure there's reasons and I'm sure they'll say what it is or maybe not. I don't know. But I'm just I'm very curious why well, my, this is my, taking this long
0: my last question? And how is, he kept the gun. You get rid of the gun, yeah. Why would you keep the gun? Well, but then psychologist hat, then we're getting somewhere real dark. Sure. Then it's it's a trophy. It's I mean the fact that he was photographed with the the poster behind him. Yes. Granted, I understand they would have been everywhere all over the area. So it probably was like not a big feat to be photographed. But like, I, it's just again, to me, it's like it already starts to build a profile. Because it's also bold to say that you were in the area. Very bold. Typically, we don't – you don't see that typically. Like typically it'll be like I was somewhere else and then of course the police detectives unravel why that was a lie.
3: Of course.
0: Maybe he's savvy enough to know that his cell phone was going to ping so it was like I have to admit that I was there. I don't know. But then this brings me to my last question for the moment which is he says he saw the two girls and a third woman. He saw three girls, yeah. Who's the third? And is that real or is that completely fake?
3: I think it's three different girls because I saw something – That said three girls um, said that they saw him and walked past him and they thought he was kind of creepy. I see. Interesting. Okay. But I don't know. Was it three girls together? Have the
0: girls come forward? Did the girls see anything else? I guess the other thing. Okay, look, I know we gotta let this go because again, I could I could talk about this for hours. But yeah. the other thing is, we don't know what was in the full video because the police never it, it revealed uh, released the whole thing, which we get, we get it. Sure. But if we're finding out now that one of the things said on the video was "gun," meaning oh my god, he's got a gun, is what I'm assuming one of the girls sure. said to the other. In 2017, when you're interviewing this person who was at the scene who admits to being there, and he says, "Yes, I own a gun." I just don't know why you – how you can't compel it, get a judge to get a warrant to compel it to match the ballistics then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I, – I don't know. That's weird to me. Again, if because, again, we have to remember the police had all this information at the time. They would have had the full video.
3: Yeah. Obviously. And they and they know cause of death and all of those things. Right. I don't think even their, the kid's family knows what Isn't that cause wild? of death and stuff – which i mean i get that you don't want it out there because you don't want someone taking credit for something that they of course you know i get that but i'm just i it just feels why why did it take 5 years to get where we are if you if yeah. you if you
0: knew about him immediately and he admitted to owning a gun. And there was a bullet collected in evidence. Like, what's what's the piece
3: that's missing that makes exactly. us go, okay. Like, it's either going to be something that makes us go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Or it's going to be something that just enrages us further.
0: I th- I know. <sighs> I know. I don't know. It's also the fact that now they're like, we believe two people are involved. I'm like, what else is their video of? interesting right like like now I'm going like what what's the bigger story here how long is the video how long is the video what else is on there I don't know because again if he's if we know we and I don't but if we know he was there alone then it's like did he meet up with someone who helped commit that murder or was was it
3: just carrying a gun around, waiting for a moment?
0: Or yeah, there's, there's was it a
3: planned thing that he was supposed to go there to meet someone because he was planning on meet, like, the, the two of them were going to meet the two girls? Right. Because it just feels weird. Like, he just was, like, hoping for a, a an opportunity to pop up. Well, that can't be. It feels Can like... It? Did he often go to that place? Could they check his cell phone records to see how often did he go and walk that trail? What are the odds he would happen to be there the day the girls were there? Yeah. Did he specifically go there because he knew they were going to be there? And then
0: how did he know they were going to be there? Yeah, there's a big piece that's left here, and I'm going to try and I'm going to hope That, again, when it all comes out, we'll go, oh, wow, okay. Like, that's my real hope. Because at this point, it's like, it feels, yeah, it just feels very odd. There's, uh, to me, my spidey sense is just like, there is something that is so twisted and dark about the connection between who these two men are, potentially. I'm speculating. It could be any gender. We're speaking statistically sure um do you know what i mean like like the two the two murderers that's a better term um that the, it's going to be the connection between them that's going to be this like the bombshell or whatever it just feels like there has to be a bombshell if there's no bombshell then it's going to feel like what is this yeah. because we know that, that we know that cases are not solved nearly as quickly as we see them dramatized dramatized on television of we course. know that that is true but 5 years is is a significant amount of time when yeah. it feels like there was it wasn't a needle in a haystack necessarily feels like right away there was well this guy was in front of them right away so yeah listen we will continue to update you dear listeners as we can uh, continue to learn more uh because obviously that case is un- unfolding in in real time and it is uh there's a reason why it gripped the internet, that is for sure, because sure. it is confounding and it seems that even now as it feels like we're getting closer to answers, it's still confounding. So, more to come on all of that. But listen, I feel like it's getting to be that time. I feel like we should uh, we should get into the case. I feel like we should pivot.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh man, I was trying really hard. Oh my god. This is just the first one, please. Chucklehead chat.
0: <gasps> oh, I'm liking this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Chucklehead chat is good. Yep. Chuckles and chats.
3: <sighs> what, well, what could we, cause I mean we get the true crime and cocktails is the second half. <laughs> second half. Oh God, half. could you imagine? <laughs> this is
0: getting, it's extending. <laughs> No. Draw
3: the banter for a full hour. Some people would like that. Yeah. Um, oh. I mean, if that part's true crime and cocktails, then this part is chats and secrets. I got <laughs> chats and <laughs> secrets. <laughs> wow, I love it. First, I don't know how many secrets we really do. <laughs> Uh, Well, you know what? Secrets and dreams. Stop it. I just feel like I'm... Secrets and dreams. Now I'm just whiteboarding things they'd put on, like, Lisa Frank notebooks
0: or something. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I miss Lisa Frank. Yeah. I need more of that in my life. Um, But listen, dear listeners, we were, of course, talking the case of Drew Peterson, as I mentioned once before. If you're not familiar with this case, never fear, because we will give you some backstory right now. In October 2007, 23 year old Stacy Peterson went missing. Her husband Drew didn't seem concerned as he claimed that Stacy had left him for another man. But the more Stacy's case was investigated, the more Drew's flimsy story fell apart. Police then started looking into the case of Kathleen Savio, Drew's ex wife, who died from accidental drowning in 2004. However, when Kathleen's case was re examined, investigators determined that Kathleen had actually been murdered. So, What's the deal with Drew Peterson? Did he murder his ex-wife, Kathleen? Did he have something to do with Stacy's disappearance? Did he abuse his position as a police officer to harass and control his family? Christy Huxborough investigates. I'm going to say it
3: also right off the top. I uh, did not know much
0: about this
3: particular case before it was chosen. Um, I'd heard some things, but I was like, eh. uh, but I didn't know a lot and uh oh this man makes me seethe on a level yeah. that I it's just
0: bad. can't.
3: So I'm probably gonna see through uh much of this because of course, I I hate a cocky male. I get that. I get that. But also right off the top, disclaimer. This episode will contain mentions of physical abuse, child loss. Suicide and substance abuse. So, trigger warning for those who need it. Drew Walter Peterson was born January fifth, nineteen fifty-four, in Bowling Illinois, which is about thirty miles or forty-seven kilometers southwest of Chicago. Ooh, I like that. I like that. That just that's, naturally—that's
0: online with cactails. Yeah,
3: it is. It is. Ah. Uh, He attended Willowbrook High School in Villa Park and was a member of the cross-country team. Drew graduated in 1972 and briefly attended the College of DuPage uh, before joining the United States Army, where he served as a military police officer until 1976. In 1974, Drew married his girlfriend of three years, Carol Hamilton. The couple met in high school and started dating when Drew was a senior and Carol was a freshman. For those unfamiliar with the terms, that means basically Drew was grade 12, Carol was grade 9. Apparently, Carol uh, was also Drew's date to the senior prom in 1972. The couple moved to Falls Church, Virginia, while Drew was stationed in the military. According to Carol, Drew's main ambition was to become a police officer, So after leaving the Army, the couple moved back to Illinois, where Drew joined the Bolingbrook Police Department in 1977. Now, I don't know the exact years, and it kills me not to be as specific as possible. But at some point, between 1974 and 1978, Drew and Carol had two sons. When Carol was five months pregnant with their first child, she suffered a miscarriage, which left both Carol and Drew devastated. Carol said that Drew was incredibly supportive at the time and that he was by her side throughout the entire ordeal. At some point after that, Carol gave birth to the couple's first son, Eric, around 1979, followed by their second son, Stephen, around 1980. When Carol was pregnant with Stephen, she discovered that Drew had been cheating on her. And when Carol called Drew out on it, Drew not only admitted it, but also said he didn't want to stop seeing his new girlfriend. Carol said their marriage had problems before they had kids, but it went downhill after the kids arrived, which is promising. Yeah. For marriage. God, that's sad. <coughs> anyhow, I would also say maybe the problem was Drew, but anyhow,
0: well, again, I was a nominator.
3: I'm going to get real catty about that man over the course of this Uh, drew and carol separated in 1978 and drew officially filed for divorce in 1980 since carol wasn't working at the time she couldn't afford a lawyer so drew's lawyer mediated the entire divorce which feels concerning but carol didn't mind as she was given full custody of the children and that's all she wanted in 1981 carol married a man named david brown and the couple have been together ever since drew started dating 20 year old kyle peary and the couple even brief were briefly engaged before breaking up four months later kyle later claimed that after their breakup drew used his position as a police officer to harass her according to the chicago sun times after their relationship ended drew and a fellow police officer arrested kyle in 1983 claiming she had too many unpaid parking tickets Kyle was put into the back of a cop car and taken to the police station where she was fingerprinted. Kyle claims that she had to convince Drew's friends to talk him into dropping the charges, which is horrifying. Yeah. Horrifying. Uh, then in 1982, Drew married 23-year-old Victoria Rutkowitz, who is now known as Vicki Connolly. They ran a bar together in Romeoville both had children from previous relationships and at first the blended family seemed to be happy according to vicky quote when it was good it was wonderful it was great but when it was bad it was really bad in early 1992 vicky filed for divorce after learning that drew was having an affair with kathleen savio who drew first met on a blind date and proposed to just months later and just very quickly, who set them up? Who was like, you know what? My married friend here. I know. You know? Who? What friend was like,
0: I've got a guy for you? Really? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's never entered my mind with any of my gal pals. Right? Or, or male friends, I'll be honest with you. Right? Uh, Drew
3: and Kathleen allegedly went on a Valentine's trip to Jamaica on February 14th, and four days later, Drew's divorce from Kathleen was finalized. Three months later, in April 1992, 38-year-old Drew and 28-year-old Kathleen were married. Drew and Kathleen had two sons together, Thomas, in January 1993, and Christopher, in August 1994. Friends say that Kathleen was happy in the beginning, but that soon Drew started hitting her and telling her she was fat. Wow. Yep. One time while speaking on the phone to her sister, Kathleen said that Drew had gotten abusive. Drew took the phone from her hand, told the sister that Kathleen was drunk and crazy, and hung up. When the sister tried to call back, no one answered. In May 1993, Kathleen was treated at Hinsdale Hospital for a head injury that she blamed on Drew. It was reported that police were called to the Peterson Home for domestic disturbances 18 times between 2002 and 2004. In October 2001, Kathleen received an anonymous letter that claimed Drew was having an affair with a young girl and that it was happening right under her nose. Allegedly, Drew had a special room in the basement that was black with mirrors on the walls. It had a padlock, so no one in the house was allowed inside but him. But there was a window in the room that Drew's lover would use to sneak into the house so that Drew could fully cheat on his wife while she was sleeping downstairs. Or sorry, upstairs. My God. Once Kathleen learned of the affair, she claims that Drew's violence towards her escalated. In February 2002, Kathleen filed a series of complaints against Drew for physical abuse. And on May 11th, that same year, Kathleen filed an order saying that Drew had threatened her. Months later, on November 14th, Kathleen sent a letter to the assistant state's attorney saying um, all of the threats and abuse that Drew had caused her. A quote from Kathleen's letter, quote, There have been several times throughout my marriage with this man where I ended up at the emergency room in Bolingbrook for injuries, and I have reported this only to have the police leave my home without filing any reports. Kathleen stated that on July 5th, 2002, Drew broke into Kathleen's home while wearing his full SWAT uniform. Drew pushed Kathleen down and told her not to move. When she tried to move, he would push her back down. He allegedly kept Kathleen hostage for hours. Drew told Kathleen he wanted to talk and that she had to listen. Kathleen said she that he was angry that the judge had ruled that Drew had to pay child support for the couple's eight and nine year old children. Mm. Drew then allegedly told Kathleen that she was a horrible person and that she needed to die. He asked her multiple times if she was afraid, and then he pulled out a knife and held it to Kathleen's neck. Kathleen said, quote, I didn't tell the police because I know they can't protect me from him. When Drew was asked about the incident, he said that both he and Kathleen had agreed that he would go to her house to discuss divorce and visitation issues. He said they spoke for three hours, and at the end, Kathleen hugged Drew and then tried to kiss him. Drew then claimed Kathleen exposed her breasts and pubic region to him and asked if he missed it. my god, okay. Drew claims he said no and left.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh
3: Kathleen's letter also said that Drew had previously cut a hole in the drywall in the garage to gain entry to the house and cut a hole in Kathleen's bedroom door before taking her jewelry and money. Kathleen also mentioned that Drew and his younger girlfriend Stacy Kales would rollerblade past Kathleen's house and stand out front, flipping Kathleen off. And if that behavior seems immature, it's probably because Stacy was only 18 at the time. We'll get oh. into that in a moment.
0: Oh boy!
3: But uh, uh, when Drew and Stacy were dropping off the children with Kathleen after one particular weekend visit stacy got out of the car filming kathleen on a camcorder that drew had stolen from kathleen's house kathleen lunged forward to get the camera stacy started screaming and said that kathleen hit her so drew put kathleen in a headlock threw her to the ground spraining kathleen's wrist drew arrested kathleen for battery She was later found not guilty, and the charges were expunged from her record. But I remind you that not only did Drew abuse his power as a police officer in that moment, he also used excessive physical force on the mother of his children in front of his children. Also, Drew can be seen using that same camcorder years later when his life became a media circus. But again, we'll get into that later. But after all this abuse, Kathleen just wanted to move herself and her sons out of the area because she feared for their safety. So she wrote the letter to the assistant state's attorney asking for permission to move. Kathleen said, quote, he knows how to manipulate the system and his next step is to take my children away or kill me instead. She referred to Drew as a loose cannon and said he, she needed help before it was too late. Thankfully, Kathleen and Drew officially divorced in 2003. And as per his pattern, Drew married Stacy because this is what that disgusting man does. He marries a young woman, cheats on her with an even younger woman, gets caught, divorces the first woman, and marries the other woman. And when you look at his track record, he did this four separate times. And I don't condone cheating at all. But we'll remind the dear listeners that cheating has nothing to do With the person being cheated on, it has everything to do with the cheater's own feelings of inadequacy. And honestly, I think they should look inward and do the work. But cheating is easier, so garbage be garbage. (laughs) But I do truly believe that Drew manipulated some of these women into being with him, especially Stacy. Now, affairs in general are gross, but this particular affair crossed a line because Stacy was legally a minor at the start of their relationship, which to me is not an affair or a relationship. It's straight-up sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, I do not blame any of the women in this situation. I truly believe that Drew took advantage of most of them, especially the teenager. And while some people may think, Christy, you should just give us the information in a non-biased way and let us decide who is garbage and who is not. <laughs> I will say... Even if Drew didn't actually do the things he will be accused of later in this episode, we know for a fact that Drew Peterson took advantage of a 17 year old girl when he was in his late 40s. And while Stacy did seem to consent, she was a minor and he was a fucking adult who should have known better. Yep. And you could tell me they had a ton in common or she's an old soul, but those are lies that people tell themselves to justify having a relationship with someone underage. Stacey was a child. Drew was a fucking predator. And yes, 17 is technically the age of consent in Illinois, but it's still gross. No 40 or 49-year-old man has anything in common with a 17-year-old girl. Stop it. But treating women in a positive way just doesn't seem to fit Drew's pattern. He married Carol when he was 20 and she was 17, which that's fine because he they knew each other. They've been dating since he was 17. So, right. okay, sure. A few years later, Drew has an affair with a 20-year-old, which ends his marriage. Then Drew married Vicki when he was 28 and she was 23 he cheated with Kathleen got divorced then married Kathleen who was went who was 28 and he was 38 he mar- uh, while married to Kathleen 47-year-old Drew had the affair with 17-year-old Stacy and after his divorce with Kathleen Drew not so shockingly married Stacy when he was 49 and she was 19 but before we get into Drew and Stacy's marriage i want to get into Stacy's Tragic family history, because I truly believe that Drew used it to take advantage of her. The story first starts with Stacy's parents, Anthony Kales and Christy Taugos? Tauges? Sorry? Uh, Before their relationship, 17-year-old Christy gave birth to her daughter, Christina, on November 12, 1975, in Long Beach, California. The father is unknown. At the time, Anthony Kales was living in Illinois with his wife, Lori Ann East. The couple got married in August 1975 and divorced in November 1977. At some point after that, Anthony and Christy met and were married in May 1979 when Christy was 21 and Anthony was 25. Less than three months later, the couple welcomed a son named Yelton in August 1979 and in 1981, they had a daughter named Jessica. In 1983, the family moved to a house in Downers Grove, Illinois, where tragically later that year, two-year-old Jessica died in a house fire.
0: Oh, God.
3: Christy filed a protection order against Anthony, claiming he had threatened her with a 357 caliber pistol. Anthony was initially charged with aggravated assault, but the charges were dropped after Christy refused to testify against him. Then on January 20th, 1984, just months after losing their daughter, Stacy Ann Cales was born, followed by Cassandra in 1985. Christie started struggling with alcohol abuse, which led to child neglect, so she was placed in a psychiatric hospital in 1986. The following year, Christie gave birth to Lacey, who tragically died from sudden infant death syndrome oh later my God. that year. Christy then spiraled and was charged with shoplifting alcohol in November and December 1989, before being hospitalized for alcohol abuse and depression following a DUI in 1990. Around this time, Anthony filed a protection order against Christy, claiming that she broke the windshield of his car and set his clothes on fire. Anthony filed for divorce that same year, requesting full custody of the four children, who were between the ages of five and 14 at the time. Christy challenged the custody papers, but didn't show up to the divorce hearing. So when the divorce was finalized in December 1990, Anthony was given custody of his three biological children and 14-year-old Christina was put into foster care. Which oh, is my God. heartbreaking at best. I am curious if Anthony requested custody of Christina or not. Uh, It's possible they wouldn't allow Christina to legally live with him since he wasn't listed on the birth certificate. I don't know how the specific legalities of it worked in the early 90s, but I truly hope that Anthony at least tried to get custody of Christina. In 1991, Christy had visits with the children while living in the suburbs with her family. In November 1993, Christina aged out of state foster care. In 1994, Anthony moved the three children, now aged 9 to 14, to Fort Myers, Florida, where he met Linda Olson at a tiki bar. The couple hit it off and were married in March 1995. Eight months later, both were arrested for domestic violence against each other. The couple separated a year later, and Anthony moved back to Illinois with his children in 1997. Then on March 11, 1998, Christy Marie Kales, went missing. Christy was last seen at around 4.30 p.m. on the 2300 block of West 199th Street in Blue Island, Illinois. She was carrying her purse and a Bible and was headed to church, but she never arrived. Christy has not been seen or heard from since. No Christy, way. Yeah. Christy was 40 at the time of her disappearance. She was described at the time as a Caucasian female, five foot four, 140 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. While Christy was known for up and leaving for days at a time, her family believes that she did not leave of her own accord, but rather she was murdered by her then boyfriend. No arrests have been made in connection with Christie's disappearance. And as of November, 2022, Christy's case remains unsolved. Wow. So by 1998... The family had suffered through the deaths of two very, very young children, and now Christy was missing. Add in moving around the domestic violence between Anthony and his partners, plus the fact that the oldest child was sent to foster care, it just feels like these kids had an unstable childhood full of tragedy and trauma, which I honestly think is linked to the fact that Stacy, who was 14 at the time of her mother's disappearance, ended up with Drew, in 2001, Stacy graduated from Romeoville High School and started working at Spring Hill Suites Hotel in Bolingbroke. Soon after, and I'm gonna be blunt and call it like it is, Stacy was groomed by Drew Peterson. In July 2003, Stacy gave birth to the couple's first child, Anthony. Drew's divorce from Kathleen was finalized on October 10th of that same year, and just eight days later, on October 18th, Drew and Stacy were married. Cut to February 2004, Kathleen had custody of her sons, Thomas and Christopher, but Drew was given visitation on the weekends. So on Friday, February 27th, Drew picked up the boys and took them home or to the home that he shares with Stacy and their son, Anthony. Drew spends the next day at home with his family, including his oldest son, Stephen, or one of his older sons, I should say. On Sunday, February 29th, Drew and Stacy take the kids to Shed Aquarium and arrive at Kathleen's house at 8 p.m. to drop the children off. However, Kathleen does not answer the door or her phone. The next day on March 1st, Drew calls Kathleen and leaves her messages throughout the day, but she doesn't respond. Drew goes to work at 5 p.m. and heads over to Kathleen's house around 7 p.m. When Kathleen still doesn't answer the door, Drew asks her neighbors and a locksmith to help gain entry to Kathleen's house. When the door is opened, Drew waited outside while the neighbors went in. Drew ran in the house when he heard screaming. Kathleen's body was found in an empty bathtub. Her hair was wet, but the inside of the tub was dry. She was lying naked on her side in the tub and had suffered an inch-long laceration on her scalp as well as several small abrasions on her body. Kathleen was 40 years old at the time of her death. She was described as ambitious, kind, always smiling, and the life of the party. Before Kathleen's death, a meeting had been set for April for her and Drew to make the final financial arrangements regarding the division of their marital assets. And usually the financial stuff is dealt with prior to the divorce being finalized, but Kathleen agreed to settle financials later, so that Drew could hurry up and marry Stacy.
4: Oh, God.
3: Two weeks after Kathleen's death, Drew produced a handwritten will, dated March 2, 1997, signed by both him and Kathleen. In the will, both parties left all of their assets to each other. Kathleen's divorce lawyer stated that Kathleen told him she did not have a will. On March 20th, the Will County Coroner's Office Released an autopsy report noting that Kathleen's hair was wet with blood from the laceration on her head and that her tongue was partially clenched between her teeth. The report noted several small abrasions, but in the end, Dr. Brian Mitchell determined that Kathleen's cause of death was accidental drowning. In May 2004, an inquest was held where Kathleen's family testified that Kathleen feared Drew Peterson who stood to financially gain from Kathleen's death. But an Illinois state police officer testified that investigators found no reason to suspect foul play. In the end, the six-person jury ruled Kathleen's manner of death to be an accident.
0: You know, I had watched some content about this case years ago. Yeah. But... A, I had forgotten a lot of the details, and B, I think that you're, as always, just bringing far more details than what I saw. And this is already just so horrifying. And I yeah. remember being horrified before, but I feel like I'm more horrified now, which I didn't think would be possible. But yeah. then again, nothing shocks me on this show. <laughs> um, but on that note, let's take a quick break, hit the can, grab another drink, and we're going to be back with more on this truly unsettling case of Drew Peterson on this episode of true crime and cocktails.
2: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: Grill patio sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you
2: soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
3: Everyone has moments in life they just can't stop thinking about. Like that one time in middle school when you called your teacher mom, yeah, that's not leaving your brain anytime soon. Or something amazing like the first time you really traveled and got to see how big and beautiful the world is. And on Baby This Is Kiki Palmer, hosted by me, Kiki Palmer, and presented by BMW, we know to savor the good memories and let go of the bad. And one thing everyone remembers fondly is their first time behind the wheel of a BMW. So come join me and BMW this summer as we explore pop culture moments and topics you just can't stop thinking about. On Baby, this is Kiki Palmer. Sponsored by BMW, the ultimate driving machine.
0: Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the case of Drew Peterson... Before the yeah. break, Christy was horrifying me with details about this case that I had forgotten and details I was learning for the first time. So, what's next? So, Kathleen's death had been deemed an accident. So, the
3: Petersons try and go on their lives as usual. Since Kathleen's sons, Thomas and Christopher, were only about 11 years old at the time, they moved in with Drew and Stacy. Stacy treated the boys like they were her own and she even legally adopted them. Then in January 2005, Drew and Stacy welcomed their second child together, a daughter named Lacey. Drew and Stacy's marriage seemed happy on the outside, but according to Stacy's family and friends, she was unhappy and looking for a way out. Although Drew would tell people that their problems were caused by Stacy's depression, which was caused by issues with her family. Mm. In 2002, Stacy's brother, Yelton, was arrested for domestic battery and sentenced to 15 months. Then he was arrested in February 2004 for aiding in possession of a stolen vehicle. And in January 2005, Yelton was arrested for aggravated sexual assault. And if that wasn't enough to add to the tragic history of the Kales family, in September 2006, Stacy's half sister, Christina, died from colon cancer at the age of 30. 30. Oh god. Yeah. Stacy was devastated by Christina's death as the two had been living together prior to Stacy moving in with Drew. Again, that poor family had more tragedy in their family than most see in a lifetime. Yeah. And while it was a traumatic upbringing for Stacy, I think Drew was the only reason that Stacy was unhappy, and I hate that Drew tried to claim these traumas could be the reasons that Stacy might want to leave him. Yeah. On Monday, October 29th, 2007, between 3 and 4 a.m., Stacy's sister, Cassandra Cales, went to the Illinois State Police to file a missing persons report on Stacy. Cassandra and Stacy hung out on the Saturday night with plans to get together on the Sunday, but Stacy didn't call in the morning as they planned, and despite Cassandra sending numerous text messages and calling repeatedly throughout the day, Stacy never responded. A search was conducted for Stacy, but she was never found. Drew didn't seem concerned with the fact that his wife was missing. In fact, he didn't help with any of the searches. Saying, quote, why would I look for someone who I don't believe is missing? She's just gone. She's where she wants to be. Wow. The asshole also outright told news cameras, quote, I'm not going to hide in a corner and cry about it. Which is a shocking thing to hear a man say after his wife has gone missing. But because Drew loved the attention, he spoke to any news outlet that would have him, and he tried to push the narrative that Stacy had been cheating on him and had finally left him, even though we all know that cheating and then leaving your spouse was more of Drew's M.O. than Stacy's. Drew said, quote, I'm not trying to be funny here, but Stacey Peterson would ask me for a divorce on a regular basis, but it was based on her menstrual cycle.
0: Oh, boy.
3: So since we don't know Stacy's version of events, we have to look at those closest to her to determine what might have happened. So there are two versions, one established by Stacy's family and friends and one established by her husband, Drew. We're going to look at the family and friends timeline first. According to the Petersons' neighbor, Sharon Bychowski, she went out for groceries at 9.40 a.m. and noted seeing both Petersons' vehicles in their driveway. Sharon and her husband Bob purchased the house beside the Petersons on Pheasant Chase Court in April 2004. At 10.15 a.m., a friend called Stacy to ask about house painting, and Stacy said she was still in bed, but she would meet them at the house to paint later. At 11.55 a.m., Sharon returned home and noticed only one of the Peterson's vehicles was in the driveway. Sharon called over to the house, and Drew tells her Stacy has gone to visit her grandfather. At 1 p.m., Drew brings the kids over to Sharon's house and tells her he needs to run an errand. He returns 15 minutes later. He calls work to request the day off. According to Drew's boss, Drew was scheduled to start at 5 p.m. Sharon and Cassandra both continue to call Stacy's cell phone, but their calls keep going straight to voicemail. Sharon commented that Stacy always left her phone on. At 9 p.m., Drew says he received a call from Stacy saying she had left him for another man. At 11 p.m., Cassandra shows up at the Peterson house, but didn't see either vehicle in the driveway. Christopher Peterson answered the door and said the four kids are home alone because Stacy and Drew had gotten into a fight. He said Stacy left the house and Drew went to look for her. At 11:15 p.m., Cassandra calls Drew and asks for Stacy. Cassandra said that she could hear a car door opening, keys going into an, an ignition, and that Drew sounded out of breath. Drew tells Cassandra he's at home and that he'd been out looking for Stacy, who had left him and taken $25,000 and the deed to the house with her. I found that questionable as well. At 11.45 p.m., Cassandra goes to the Downers Grove Police Department to file a missing persons report, but is told that she has to file it in Bolingbrook. At 1 a.m., Cassandra goes to the Bolingbrook station and files a report. At 2.30 a.m., Cassandra goes back to the Peterson house and sees both cars in the driveway. Cassandra's friend calls Drew, asking for Stacy, and he says his wife is gone, and that she left her car at the Clow International Airport. Around 3 a.m., Cassandra files a missing persons report with the Illinois State Police. Cassandra went to the Clow Airport, where she noticed security cameras. She called the police and told them to check the cameras. The officer told her, quote, Everybody knows that camera doesn't record.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
3: Now for Drew's version of events. According to Drew Peterson, on the morning of October 28th, he arrived home from working the night shift between 5:30 and 6am. Stacy told him that she was going to visit her grandfather at some point in the morning and Drew headed to bed. Between 10 and 11 a.m, Drew wakes up to the sounds of his children. He notices that Stacy isn’t at home. At 1pm, he runs some errands while Thomas and Christopher watch the younger two children which is interesting because the neighbor said he brought the children over to her house. An hour later, Drew calls work to request the night off, saying he has extra sick time to use before he retires in December. At 3.15 p.m., Thomas leaves with a friend. At 6 p.m., Drew takes the three children to McDonald's, returning home around 7.30 p.m. At 9 p.m., Drew claims that he received a call from Stacy who told him she was leaving him for another man and that she had left her Pontiac Grand Am at the Clow International Airport. At 9.15, Drew leaves the house to go look for Stacy, returning around 11 p.m. Soon after, Cassandra called looking for Stacy, who, according to Drew, had left him and taken money, clothes, and her passport. At 11.45 p.m., Drew walks to the Clow International Airport to drive Stacy's car back home. He goes to bed around midnight. And just to clarify, the airport is 1.2 miles or 2 kilometers north of the Peterson house. It would take the average person about 25 minutes to walk that. And Drew, who was 53 at the time, claims he walked to the airport and drove home in the span of 15 minutes or less. No. The drive back Yes, would have been quick. But I just don't buy his timeline. Could a 53-year-old walk that distance in that time frame? Sure. Was Drew physically capable? I'm less sure. Uh, In the grand scheme of anything's possible, maybe. But I doubt it. No. At 2.30 a.m., the Bolingbroke Police Department calls Drew to let him know that Cassandra has filed a missing persons report. For Stacy. The state police interviewed Drew on October 29th. They say Drew was very calm and he was adamant that Stacy had left him, pointing out he found her car at Clough Airport. Drew gave the officers permission to search his house, but they found nothing out of order. They asked for permission to search the two vehicles, or more specifically, Drew's GMC Denali and Stacy's Pontiac Grand Prix. Drew allowed the officers to look at his car, but refused. To let them search Stacy's. With still no sign of Stacy or her cell phone, police check Stacy's cell phone records and notice a lot of texts and calls between Stacy and a man named Scott Rossetto. It turns out that Stacy and Scott had reconnected in early October 2007 after not speaking for about six years. Scott claimed that Stacy first reached out to him, claiming she had come across his number while she was cleaning out the garage. Scott said that it was completely platonic and that Stacy had told Scott she wanted a divorce. One night, when they got together at a local restaurant, Drew pulled up in his squad car and came in and sat in the same booth wearing his uniform. Drew then asked to see Scott's ID and said, quote, How would you feel if this was your wife? Scott said he was terrified, but that Stacy remained calm. Scott and Stacy remained in contact, sending each other some racy texts, but Scott said it was just flirting, no more. But when police checked Stacy's phone records on the night that Stacy disappeared, around the time she supposedly called Drew to say she was leaving him for another man, Stacy's cell phone pinged the Sherwood area where Scott Rossetto lived. But Scott Rossetto who was a nurse said he was working at the hospital that night and hospital records confirm that police start to theorize that Drew caught Stacy texting with Scott became enraged and killed her and that he tried to cover it up by framing Scott for for Stacy's disappearance and while that may seem like a bit of a reach there's a potential witness involved on October 30th A man named Tom Morphy was admitted to the hospital after attempting to take his own life by overdosing on pills. Tom spoke with the FBI, telling them that he had tried to overdose because he was so distraught over what he did for his stepbrother, Drew Peterson. Oh boy. Tom spoke with the FBI, who got in touch with the police, to say that Tom had confessed that he might have helped Drew dispose of Stacy's body on the night she disappeared. Police interviewed Tom and he said Drew contacted him October 28th and said he needed help with a problem. Drew told him Stacy was having an affair and the two men drove through the Starbucks drive through got Tom a coffee with vanilla, and then Drew dropped Tom off at a park in the Sherwood area. Drew gave Tom a cell phone and told him when it rings, do not answer it. So for 30 minutes, Tom walked around the park carrying the cell phone and drinking his coffee. Then the phone rang, and it said the caller was Stacy's cell. But Tom did as he was told. He didn't answer the phone. Soon after, Drew picked Tom up, said he needed a hand at the house. Drew drove the men to the house, where he entered the bedroom, and Tom helped Drew carry a large blue barrel down the stairs and put it in the back of Drew's SUV. Tom said he believed that Stacy's body may have been in that container because it weighed about the same as Stacy, who was approximately 100 pounds. Tom said it doesn't that he doesn't know what Drew did with the barrel, but he was so distraught over it, he started drinking and then tried to consume too many pills. Police questioned whether Tom was a reliable witness, as he had a long history of alcohol and substance abuse. However, when they checked the Starbucks location where Drew allegedly bought Tom coffee that night, Drew was seen on camera at the time that Tom had said purchasing a coffee with vanilla, which was the only coffee with vanilla that was purchased that day. Oh, shit. So maybe Tom was telling the truth. It would explain why Stacy's cell phone pinged in an area at the time. But where did the barrel come from? Well, according to Drew's longtime friend, Rick Mims, he and Drew bought three blue plastic 55 gallon barrels from a cable company in 2003. And Cassandra, Stacy's sister, said she saw the barrel in the Peterson's garage on the weekend of Stacy's disappearance. Cassandra asked about it and stacy said that drew had bought it and it was chlorine for the pool or something she didn't fully know neighbors later reported seeing drew and another man carrying a large barrel out of the house shortly after stacy disappeared police believed that if drew put stacy's body in that barrel that he would likely have thrown the barrel into the nearby lockport canal divers searched the area including the 25 to 30 stolen cars that were pulled from the water, but there was no sign of the barrel or of Stacy Peterson. Drew did various TV interviews saying that Tom had a lot of marital, emotional, and substance abuse problems, and that he couldn't be trusted. As though any of us trust Drew Peterson at yeah, this right. point. Yeah, right. But the more the investigators look into Drew's life, the more suspicious things become especially when they find out that Drew's wife, Kathleen Savio, had died under mysterious circumstances. So on November 1st, police announced that they are looking into the records from Kathleen's death. Drew's house was also officially searched, and police seized various items, including CDs, an iPod, both vehicles, and 11 firearms. And on November 9th, police publicly announced that Stacy's case was now considered a potential homicide, and that Drew Peterson was a suspect. Stacy Peterson was just 23 at the time of her disappearance. She was described as kind and loving and an attentive mother at the time Stacy was majoring in pre-nursing at Joliet Junior College. It was also announced that while the reports on Kathleen Savio's death, uh, well, hmm, that didn't come out right. I just mistyped it. The point is, investigators were looking into Kathleen Savio's death. They believed the one-inch gash on Kathleen's head would not have been enough to make her unconscious, and the blood pattern in the tub was not consistent with slowly draining water, as was assumed in the 2004 investigation. Investigators were convinced Kathleen's death had been staged to look like an accident, So a judge ordered the exhumation of Kathleen's body. Because of this, Drew was suspended without pay from the Bowling Brook Police Department pending an unrelated internal affairs investigation. Drew had recently announced he would be retiring effective December 1st, but now the department wanted to get internal affairs involved. So Drew decided to push things up a bit and handed in his letter of resignation on November 12th the day before he was supposed to be interviewed by Internal Affairs. The police chief originally refused to accept the letter because he knew exactly what Drew was trying to do. He filed a complaint with the Fire and Police Commission against Drew. However, the commission said that the chief had no choice but to accept the resignation, which meant that Drew was now out of the commission's jurisdiction for an internal investigation and now he was officially considered retiring, retired, which means he was now eligible for the $72,000-a-year pension. <sighs> Again, Drew knew exactly what he was doing by handing in that letter. Yep. Brief Drew work history side note. Please. He joined the Bolingbrook Police Department in 1977 and was assigned to the Metropolitan Area Narcotics Squad in 1978. Drew was removed from the squad over an allegation that he provided information to a biker gang that could have caused problems during an undercover operation. In 1979, Drew was named Police Officer of the Year. Then in 1985, Drew was fired for disobedience, conducting a self-assigned investigation, failure to report a bribe immediately, and official misconduct. Wow. Two months earlier... Drew had been indicted on charges of failure to report a bribe and official misconduct. There were also claims that Drew solicited drugs in exchange for information about the narcotics squad. In March 1986, the charges were all dropped and Drew was reinstated with the police department.
0: Of course.
3: In mid-November, two autopsies were performed on Kathleen Savio, one by Dr. Larry Bloom on behalf of Will County, and one by Dr. Michael Baden at the request of Kathleen's family. Dr. Baden, who is a former chief medical examiner from New York, stated he believed that Kathleen's death was a homicide. Dr. Bloom, an independent pathologist, also ruled Kathleen's death a homicide. Both noted bruises that were on the front of Kathleen's body, including a large one across her diaphragm, which was likely caused by someone holding Kathleen from behind. There was also extensive scraping on Kathleen's back, all of which they believe were inflicted within an hour of her death. The original autopsy report noted six or seven other bruises and stated that they were all old, which we're now learning they were not. Mm. There's also the matter of the deep gash on the back of Kathleen's head, which would have come from a large blow to a sharp surface. While it was originally determined that Kathleen hit her head on the tub and drowned, if she hit her head on the tub, there would have been transfer of blood, hair, tissue, something like that, on the tub. But there was nothing. Also, the tub was a very smooth, rounded surface, and nothing sharp that would make that kind of a gash. In March 2008 the search for Stacy continued as it had been stalled over the winter months but still no sign of Stacy was found on April 30th Drew announced a $25,000 reward for information leading to Stacy's safe return and look I know that Drew started off pushing the Stacy left me narrative but to wait 6 months before offering a reward is so sketchy to me yes especially if you have personal knowledge and know she's never coming back so you know you never have to pay it immediate as soon as she's gone great point. Fifty thousand dollar reward immediate yeah like oh he just this man enrages me mm-hmm. his cocky face
0: enrages me i get that <laughs> on so
3: many levels i get that on may 21st drew was arrested for possession of an illegal weapon apparently drew owned an ar-15 assault rifle that was too short under state law the state later added an additional felony charge after drew allegedly illegally transferred ownership of the weapon to his son Stephen, who happened to be a police officer in oak brook Mm. at the time drew's attorney argued that the illegal weapon in question was drew's secondary duty weapon for his service on the swat team and therefore exempt from state gun laws On July 14th, Drew pleaded not guilty to both weapons violations. And just when you think Drew might finally show any sadness over the disappearance of his wife, in December 2008, it was announced that 54-year-old Drew was engaged to a 23-year-old woman named Christina Rains. Less than two months later, Christina moved out of Drew's house after her father issued an ultimatum the engagement was called a publicity stunt which was designed to keep Drew Peterson in the spotlight. And if that's true, if Drew's people chose that as the way to keep his name in the public, they chose a very bad way to do it. Yeah, personally speaking. But Christina allegedly said all of Stacy's belongings were still at the house. Quote. Stuff that you would take with you if you were leaving. Her whole wardrobe prescriptions, her cell phone, everything was there. But wait, Christina, police said that Stacy's cell phone was gone. So is Christina lying? Or did Drew lie to police during the investigation like I'm sure he did? Mm Mm-hmm. And then in May 2009, Drew was taken into custody and charged with two counts of first-degree murder in the death of Kathleen Savio. And I know what you're thinking, at this point, we all pretty much assume that Drew murdered Stacy. Why not charge him with her murder as well? Well, because at that point, police did not have a body. And if they charged Drew for Stacy's murder and he was somehow acquitted, if Stacy's body was ever found because of double jeopardy, they would not be allowed to charge him again. Before the trial, Drew's attorney, submitted a motion that Stacy's dis- disappearance should not be allowed to be mentioned during the trial as it could possibly sway the jury the judge agreed but after that very small win drew's defense team spoke with reporters and when they were asked about stacy those fucking scumbags said who stacy who Good which Lord. is absolutely disgusting to me and i can't So the prosecution was going to need to prove that Drew was a murderer without bringing up the fact that his current wife was missing. Well, that wouldn't be as difficult since Drew stood to financially gain from Kathleen's death. Not only would Kathleen have been given the house worth $300,000 in their divorce, she was also eligible to receive half of Drew's pension. So if that's not a huge motive, then I don't know what is. Yeah. The defense attorneys argued that Kathleen lied about the abuse so that she'd have a leg up in the divorce. A quote from one of the lawyers, quote, every housewife's worst nightmare is that she's going to be thrown aside for some younger pretty girl. And to be clear, Kathleen was not a housewife. At the time of her death, she was attending nursing school. But as someone who spent over a decade as a housewife, My biggest fear was something happening to my husband or my children, so fuck the gross old man lawyer who said that. Yep. Now, the problem with the trial was the fact that a lot of the evidence was hearsay, which is not normally allowed in a trial. However, in 2008, Illinois legislature passed a law that would make exceptions for allowing hearsay in certain cases. Of the 14 hearsay statements that the prosecution submitted, the new legislature allowed six of them to be used in the trial. During a pre-trial hearing in 2010, Drew's son, Eric, testified against his father, saying that in 1993, Eric witnessed Drew drag Kathleen by her hair and arm into the house. Eric also told the court that his father was not a good, caring, or loving father. The trial started on July 31st, 2012. Forensic pathologist Dr. Bloom testified that the abrasions on Kathleen's body could not have been could not have been caused by her back rubbing against the tub. And it was believed that someone forcibly held Kathleen from behind as they drowned her in the toilet before placing her in the empty bathtub. Also during his testimony, Dr. Bloom stated that he crawled into Kathleen's bathtub while conducting his investigation. The judge cleared the courtroom and Dr. Bloom was asked to not say that again. Which I like. It's, oh, I I crawled in to like feel it. And the judge was like, please, please, (laughs) please don't, sir. Just, I just imagine a very quiet, like, oh, could you not?
0: We, no. we, we're we rooting for you, so please. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah.
3: sir, that's so creepy. Please, please don't. Also testifying at the trial, Mary Pontarelli, Kathleen's neighbor and best friend, who was one of the people to find Kathleen's body. Mary testified that Kathleen's hair was down, which was odd as she would put it up in a clip during a bath And Kathleen was wearing a gold necklace, whereas she always took her jewelry off before a bath. And while one could argue that Mary wouldn't know how Kathleen dressed or undressed for a bath, Mary also pointed out that there was no robe or towel or even a bath mat in the room. Which sounds suspicious to me, but apparently wasn't suspicious to Sergeant Patrick Collins, who led the initial investigation. It turns out that Sergeant Collins had no previous homicide experience, so when the crime scene tech said it was an accident, Collins just went along with it and didn't really do anything about it. When Kathleen was removed from the tub, they noticed bleeding from the back of her head, but didn't bother to look at where the blood was coming from. Collins also didn't secure the scene or fully process it and when sergeant collins interviewed stacy peterson about kathleen's death he let drew sit in on the interview drew always kept his hand on stacy and even finished her sentences during the interview stacy said drew was with her at home all night however neil shori scory the pastor at drew and stacy's church testified otherwise the reverend said he had been counseling Drew and Stacy separately as well as together and in August 2007 Stacy asked to meet with the reverend at a Starbucks where she said that on the night of Kathleen's death Stacy woke up in the middle of the night and Drew wasn't home. She tried calling him several times but he didn't answer. Hours later Drew came home wearing all black and carrying a duffel bag. He walked right to the laundry room he emptied the duffel bag into the washing machine. Stacy checked the machine. It was full of women's clothes that were not hers. Stacy also allegedly told Reverend Neal that Drew spent hours coaching Stacy on what to say to the police, and she outright admitted to lying when they asked where Drew was that night. Stacy said she was afraid of Drew, but for some reason the reverend didn't try to get Stacy out of that situation. To be clear, I am not blaming him for what happened to Stacy. I just find it surprising that she told him of what was going on in the house. And he wasn't like, well, let's get you out. You and the kids, let's go. You know? Yeah. Either way. Uh, at the end of the six-week trial, the jury deliberated for over two days. And on September 6th, 2012, 58-year-old Drew Peterson was convicted of the first-degree murder of Kathleen Savio. The jury admitted that the most compelling evidence against Drew was based on the hearsay statements that were allowed under the new legislation. And that legislation was later named Drew's Law. And the idea of the very thing that helped to bring Drew down be named after him? Chef's Kiss. (laughs) Yeah. After the ruling, Drew spoke in court to prosecutor Jim Glasgow and very calmly said, quote, Never forget my face. Never forget what you've done here. Then he turned on a dime and snapped, I did not kill Kathleen. Like it was split second twist and he was completely somebody else. Drew's attorney later called that moment pathetic. (laughs) And it is the one time that lawyer and I will agree on anything. (laughs) Oh my God. On February 21st, 2013, Drew was sentenced to 38 years and sent to Menard Correctional Center in Southern Illinois. Menard was described as overcrowded and a living hell. Drew himself said, it was dirty. The mattress I had, the pillow I had, you wouldn't put your dog on it. It was terrible. Urine and defecation spread on the walls. It was a horrible, horrible place. But while incarcerated, At Menard, Drew made a friend. Antonio Smith, known as the Beast, was playing basketball in the prison yard, and some guys started betting on the game, and because Antonio played so well, Drew made a lot of money off him. So Drew quickly befriended Antonio, who was serving 40 years for attempted murder, home invasion, and robbery. So Drew approaches this new friend and asks if Antonio can arrange a hit. At first, Antonio thinks Drew is joking around, but then Drew outright asks if Antonio knows someone who could, who could take out Will County State's Attorney James Glasgow, the very prosecutor who put Drew away. Antonio alerted the authorities, and after an interview, he agreed to wear a wire to record his conversations with Drew. Multiple conversations were recorded in which Drew asked if the job was a go or not, and according to Antonio, during one conversation, which was not recorded, Drew admitted to killing Stacy, saying she's in Lake Michigan. And if that's true, his statement when she first went missing and said where he said she's where she wants to be. Chilling. Is so fucking gross. Yeah. Ugh. But since that conversation was not recorded, it's Antonio's word versus Drew's. So we don't know how accurate that information is. But... Drew is just arrogant enough. I would not be surprised if it was true. Mm -hmm. On February 9th, 2015, Drew was charged with one count of solicitation of murder for hire. Drew claimed he knew the conversations were being recorded, but he continued with the ruse in the hopes it would help Antonio get out of prison. Oh, I know. He's a good guy. Good guy. Uh, in May 2016, Drew was convicted and sentenced to 40 years to be served after completing his current term. Drew tried to appeal, but in September 2017, the Illinois Supreme Court upheld the conviction. Since then, Drew was transferred to a federal correctional federal correctional institution in Indiana, where Drew was attacked soon after. He was transferred to another prison in 2019 for safety and security purposes. It was announced that Drew's location, current location, would be kept confidential, quote, due to the nature of the holding offense and the offender's identity as a former law enforcement officer. Hmm. In 2021, Drew submitted a handwritten motion to overturn his murder conviction. In it, Drew claimed that he had ineffective counsel and that the hearsay evidence was improperly admitted and that the prosecution had intimidated witnesses. Drew also claimed that the TV movie about his life, which aired January 2012, made it impossible for Drew to receive a fair trial. The TV movie in question was a lifetime movie called Untouchable. It starred Kaylee Cuoco as Stacy and Rob Lowe as Drew. Oh. On what planet? <laughs> Regardless as to how many prosthetics or what
0: you do to his hair,
3: on what planet is Drew anywhere close to Rob Lowe? Visually speaking. No. I mean, it's like the crown casting Dominic West as Prince Charles. No, I still haven't seen it. I will when I have time. But stop casting handsome men in the place of unattractive creeps. I've said what I've said. Yep. Currently, Drew Peterson is not eligible for parole until 2081. And the thing I find fascinating about this whole thing is that such a gross man was able to continually get younger and younger women. I know it was due to his manipulation. It just surprises me. Most of Drew's exes all said that Drew was confident and charismatic when they first met him, but that he turned controlling and in some cases abusive. Drew's first wife, Carol, said most mostly positive things about Drew, but said he became overbearing and very controlling. She also said, quote, he really didn't like me going out with my friends. Uh-huh, then, in his relationship with Kyle, she said things started off good, but Drew eventually made her feel uncomfortable Drew's, Kyle said that Drew wasn't physically abusive, but he was controlling, always demanding to know where she was going and with who, and he even had her followed. Drew's second wife, Vicky, said that Drew was controlling and that he even bugged their own house to keep track of her. Whoa, Vicky said Drew once put her up against a wall in the garage and grabbed her by the throat and one time, quote, said, he told me he would kill me and make it, me, make it look like an accident. Drew's third wife, Kathleen, told multiple people, including police and attorneys, that Drew was physically abusive with her. So to me, Drew's controlling behavior increased over the years, but he was always an asshole. In November 2007, Drew did an interview with People magazine, where Drew so lovingly said, quote, My dad would get up to go to the bathroom in the morning and my mom would have the bed made. I expected all of my wives to be like my mom, meticulous housekeepers, and they weren't. You expected your life partners to be like your mother is a horrifying thing to admit out loud. While on the Today Show, Drew outright admitted, quote, I controlled my family, I think more people in America should control their family. So before I wrap this up, let's answer the question that I had the moment I first read about this case. What happened to Drew's children? Yeah. Well, Drew's oldest son, Eric Peterson, got into some legal hot water in April 2021 when authorities recovered 40 marijuana plants, two handguns and ammunition from Eric's home. He was charged with three felony counts of possession and the manufacture or de- delivery of cannabis and cannabis plants. He also faced two misdemeanor counts of possession of a firearm and ammunition without a valid firearm ID. Prior to that, Eric had no criminal record. Eric's brother, Stephen, became a police officer with the Oak Brook Police Department. However, he was fired for failing to disclose details concerning his father after Stacy disappeared. Mm hmm. That led to Stephen's own marriage ending. When Drew was arrested, Stephen stepped in and took care of his four younger siblings, who were 16, 15, 6, and 4 at the time. Stephen was about 29 or 30. Stephen has since said that his father probably killed Kathleen as well as Stacy. Stephen said he initially believed Kathleen had actually drowned, saying, quote, he's your dad and you don't think twice. Christopher and Thomas moved out of Stevens' house when they graduated from high school. Thomas was valedictorian at Bolingbroke High School, who went on to major in neuroscience at the University of Pennsylvania. No public information is known about Christopher, but Anthony and Lacey remain in Stevens' care. Now, I can't mention this case without briefly commenting about the other very well-known true crime cases also involving men with the last name Peterson. In North Carolina, there's Michael Peterson, who was convicted in 2003 for killing his wife, Kathleen. Another Kathleen? That's wild. It's insane. Uh, Kathleen was found dead in December 2001 at the bottom of a staircase. Michael appealed and was granted a new trial eight years later. In 2017, Michael agreed to an Alford plea, and his charge was reduced to manslaughter. With time served, Michael was released. In 2019, he published a memoir called Behind the Staircase, and in 2022, there was a miniseries featuring Colin Firth and Tony Collette. And honestly, Michael Peterson being played by Colin Firth is another case of a beautiful man playing a hideous one. <laughs> For more details on that particular case, check out episode 31, The Staircase. <laughs> And in California, there's Scott Peterson, who was convicted in 2004 for the first degree murder of his wife, Lacey, who was nearly eight months pregnant at the time. Scott and Lacey were married in 1997, and Lacey went missing December 24, 2002. It turns out that Scott was having an affair, and he told his girlfriend his wife had died two weeks before Lacey had disappeared. In April 2003, Lacey's body was found, and Scott was arrested five days later, He had dyed his hair blonde, grown out his facial hair, and had Viagra, camping equipment, and nearly $15,000 cash, four cell phones, and his brother's driver's license in his car. It is suspected Scott was planning to flee to Mexico. Scott was convicted and later sentenced to death by lethal injection, but his death penalty was overturned in August 2020, and he was resentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And yes, Peterson is a common name, but I find it fascinating that all three of these men were charismatic and arrogant attention whores who allegedly harmed their wives. And for them to be all such high-profile cases, it feels like a weird synchronicity, especially when both Drew and Michael were accused of killing their wives, Kathleen. And since Drew and Scott were both cheaters, I mean, again, these men, I don't get it. Yeah. I didn't know Stacey Peterson personally, and I've thankfully never met Drew. But I'll say I just don't believe she would leave her children. And I certainly don't believe that if Stacey feared Drew, that she would willingly leave her children alone with him. And I think if she had run off, there would have been a sign from her by now. I also don't believe for one second that an arrogant asshole would just accept that his young, beautiful wife had left him. I don't. I think Drew was controlling and Stacy wanted to leave him, but Drew refused and killed her in a blind rage, then disposed of her body. And hopefully someday Drew will realize he's stuck in prison for life and he'll finally do the right thing and give Stacy's family the peace they deserve. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm your bitch. I like that you've dropped Christy. I'm your bitch. <laughs> I, I, I think my goal eventually is to be able to just go, it's your bitch. And everyone's like, oh, it's Christy. I like that. I don't for know you. why I find that endearing, but.
0: Because you're not a Poindexter. Because
3: I'm not a nerd.
0: I am a nerd. <laughs> I'm. Oh, God. Oh, it's my God. beautiful gosh. thing being a nerd. Listen, it is, of course. um But listen, let's take one more quick break, grab one more drink, hit the can again, and then we're going to come back with our final thoughts on the Drew Peterson episode of True Crime and Cocktails.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
0: Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the Drew Peterson I don't know what we want to call it, case, mess, um, (laughs) travesty, (laughs) my God. Um, Listen, so many things. Here's the first thing that bumped me. Yeah. His divorce in 1980, which I believe was from Carol. Yeah. His lawyer mediated, which is a huge problem. Obviously, because that's one person's lawyer mediating a divorce. It's just, that's not fair on any level. But what I love was that Carol got full custody of the children and it was Drew's yeah. lawyer. So that tells us right there that Drew did not give a shit about those kids. If it was no. his lawyer mediating the divorce and the outcome was, well, she got full custody. Oh, because I'm sure the kids got in the way when he wanted to
3: fuck off with his younger girlfriend. Yeah. His oldest son outright has said he was not a good father.
0: Yeah. No, no. I think – I mean, listen, I'm psychologist hatting this whole time because – Of course. There is just so many, like, true narcissist traits with him. Yep. True, true narcissist in every possible way, only concerned about himself, thinks that he's above the law, delusions of grandeur, – wanting so much attention, uh, all of these things. And I'm going to get into that in a deeper way before I'm done, but I'm going to continue to go through these in the meantime. So, I mean, again, the fact that Kathleen, and I remember this from, from when I had watched a doc years ago, the fact that she had come forward so many times talking about how she feared for her life, that he had threatened to kill her, that he, he'd abused her, all of these things, that to me, is the real, like, the beginning of the true descent into horror that this case is. That it's, again, and we don't know. We weren't there. We don't know how and why, if it was just the general lack of concern that can be given to women who are reporting domestic violence or if it is also a combination of that and the fact that he was in the police and what have you. Who knows? But again, the fact that The fact that she so many times was doing, quote, and this is not my opinion, but, quote, everything right, which is what they often try and shame uh, victims of domestic violence by saying, like, well, it was never reported or whatever. Oh, no. This woman was constantly reporting. Her reports were just getting lost or not taken seriously or not actually filed. So, again, to me, it's like that is – I just don't know. Again, I'm like I don't know how you live with yourself if you're someone who – helps aid an abuser. Um, my favorite quote of yours, possibly to date, is garbage be garbage. Loving that. <laughs> um, this relationship...
3: Yeah, that's just where I'm at.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. This relationship with Stacy, who was a minor at the time that they met, it's so sad to me on so many levels because, again, our brains don't stop growing until we're in our mid-20s. Um, that's a fact, both for any gender, that's that's uh you know there's often been some debate i was researching this recently believe it or not uh unrelated um it can take i like the thought that you research brain stuff for fun i do i definitely do um but oh i think that this may have been in regards to uh i don't know a certain celebrity that i may or may not have loved who recently started dating someone 16 years younger than her him anyway uh your brain doesn't stop developing until you're 25 is the point is the point. And that's that's across the board oh. with gender. I thought that it was there was maybe a discrepancy there's not. So my point just is is that 17 even if it is the age to consent, it doesn't matter. We don't have to defend our stance on this. A 47-year-old and a 17-year-old absolutely not. The fact that she has such a history of trauma in her family and loss and and all of that kind of thing, I agree with you. I think that and this is going to play into something I'm going to talk about in a minute um in a more larger way, but Part of, part of his MO is going to be going after people who, going after women or girls who he feels that he can manipulate. Now, this is in no way, I I preface this a million times over, I am not in any way saying that the women had any fault in this. They didn't. The, the types of, of, again, from my extensive research, um, the types of people that, that narcissists like to go after are the kindest people are the people who want to help others are the natural empaths these are the people because they know or they can they can find ways to manipulate them into feeling bad for them wanting to take mm-hmm. care of them all of these kinds of things it is a there's a lot of literature that has been written about narcissists specifically targeting empaths and the fact that stacy and kathleen were both in nursing school which are extreme caregiving that, that, thats an, one of the probably the most caregiving position other than um being a stay-at-home parent uh i'd say nursing is is probably the number one so that to me sure. speaks to both of their personalities the fact that they wanted to take care of people in a very altruistic way And to me, that speaks again as to, as to how he, and it's interesting to me that both of them had that similarity and both of them are the ones that ended up dead. It's interesting that it was like, you know what I mean? Again, it feels to me like he chose the people. And it was also the amount of time that he stayed with each of these women that was interesting. It felt like the relationship with Stacey was a little bit shorter before she tragically was murdered, but... Um, some of the others, it was like, it was in these like 10 year chunks. Yeah. Which is so interesting that he had such a like clockwork cycle. But anyway, I'm all over the place. But for me, it was just like seeing those kinds of things coming out in my, my beautiful minding of listening. I was like, it's very interesting to me again, that, um, he clearly was going after, again, the kind, the, the soft hearted, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. it's 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 such a tragedy um the specifics about stacy's disappearance are wild the fact again that her sister cassandra was trying to get help trying to go to police trying to go to the state police the fact that she was like i went to the airport there's cameras there and they're like those cameras don't work it's like wow what do people have to do I mean, that's it's so tragic and it's something we hear so many times or we talk about so many times on this show is just like the the brick walls that people will come up against trying to, quote, do what we're told we're supposed to do, doing all the, quote, right things. You know what I mean? It's like, again, people wonder why women and, and people who have been assaulted don't report. This is, a, this is right here. We could just play this episode, and I could tell you right now, that's why victims of domestic violence and sexual assault don't report. Yeah. Because these are great examples of people who did, not only the actual victims, but also people around them. And, again, I don't need to tell you, we all know how it was handled. So, yeah. the fact that Drew... Would talk to any press. He was so obsessed with press. This just feeds into, again, like this true narcissistic personality disorder I think we're dealing with here. I mean, it's so overt in him. I'd say mo- more so than than a lot of the people that we end up talking about on this show. Um, the detail that he said Stacy left with $25,000 in the deed to their home – And he's like, she's just gone. Why would she need the deed to the home? If she was going with the intention of never coming back, which is what he's trying to make us believe, that makes absolutely zero sense. Yep. What he's going to say, oh, she's trying to use it as like a, to hold over me, to bribe me or whatever. How? If she never wants to see you again, because again, in one breath, he's like, I'll just never, I'll never see her. She wants to be gone. She's where she wants to be. We're never going to hear from her again. So if that's yep. true, then why on earth would taking the deed make any sense? Just to screw him over? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no it doesn't. And if we believe this this young gal who he was dating towards the end of his free years, um whose name is leaving not in my mind at this moment, um but the the young gal when he was, you know, and she was 23 towards the end, and she was saying that all of Stacy's belongings were there, that it was oh, like, Christina. Oh, Christina, thank you very much. It was on the tip yep. of my tongue. Um, if we believe her, and I tend to, I don't know why we wouldn't, and we believe that that Stacy's cell phone was there, so she's going to go through the trouble of finding the deed to the house, but not going to go to the very simple move of taking her own cell phone with her? It doesn't add up. Like it was a dumb detail oh. to me that he put in. Like bad lie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um the the again, the timeline of him saying he he drove, he walked to the airport, got the car and came back. I don't care how fast you're hoofing it. Even if he managed to get there in 15 minutes, he's not gonna get back in zero. So the the, the timeline is doesn't work for yep. me. Agreed. Again, there's so many details too, and I was trying to like really take notes and keep up with the with the timeline. But then eventually I was just like, there's just so many holes. And there's so many places where if you go by the friends and family's account, um, there's so many places where he could have been sneaking away to like do a little bit more of the crime. Do you know what I mean? Like he drops the kids off, he comes back 15 minutes later. Well, what happened in those 15 minutes? Like there's little things throughout to me that it's like, if we were sitting down with a murder board on a weekend and s- with snacks, first of all, we'd be two pigs in shit. But second of all, <laughs> we'd have time to really go through this timeline. You know what I'm saying? Which would be a yeah. dream. But but I feel like, again, it's like when you start to unravel it, it just unravels so quickly. Um, the thing that chilled me was this story from his brother Tom. And the yeah. fact that it's like, okay, he was very specific. I He ordered me this specific coffee. The fact that we have that corroborated with video surveillance footage and the order. It was the only one yep. of those drinks made that day. That gives me, to me, that gives Tom a lot of credibility. Yep. And the fact that we know that her cell phone pinged in that area at that time. How do we know that wasn't Stacy's cell phone that he had? Yeah. Because you said that the pho- the phone that Drew had given him it rang saying Stacy's cell phone. But how do we know that the phone yep. in his hand wasn't Stacy's cell phone? And that Drew had just programmed a number in there to say Stacy's cell phone. He didn't see the actual number or he wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, so to yep. me, it's very easy to take your partner's phone. I remember an ex boyfriend once <laughs> on Christmas Day, he took my phone and he. He put his number in. He changed the name of his contact to Santa. And then I got a text from Santa. And yes, was it magical? Sure. But my point is, is that it's like, it's very easy to go into your partner's phone and change contact names very quickly. It's really charming. You don't even want to know which one it was. But anyway. oh, um, well, I just assume I hate them Oh, anyway. you <laughs> do. You definitely hate that one. Anyway, this was years ago. Mm. But point is, the point is, is that to me, first of all, and I use this word with no um, affection, but brilliant to say, go walk around the park with this phone. So then that's – and I'm convinced that was Stacy's phone because we knew it pinged in that area at that time. And that's yeah. Drew trying to place her and that phone near Scott, the gentleman that she had been talking to. Um, yeah. Again, and then the rest of Tom's details, the fact that he helped him move a barrel and then became completely mentally unraveled because of it. I buy I buy. 100%. Um, the specific also of 25 to 30 stolen cars found in the canal where they were looking for her body just was <laughs> wild to me. Completely unrelated, but yeah. I love that detail. Um, oh, and the fact, sorry, jumping back to the cell phone for a second, the fact that Drew said specifically, do not answer when you get that call. I am convinced it was because it was Drew calling. Oh, of course it was. Right? It had to have been. It had to have been. I I really believe that. Yeah. And then he was trying to, like, somehow grift his stepbrother Tom as well. That it was like, oh, it was coming from Stacy's phone, so she's clearly still alive. Like, he was trying to get Tom to help him cover his ass, but then he's also covering his ass about Tom. Do you know what I'm saying? Because he also didn't need to call the phone. The cell phone's going to ping whether it's getting a call or not.
3: True. But he had to have that, like, well, she called me to say she was leaving me. That's right. But it's also, like... Uh huh. Right. I just I don't trust him, nor should I. No, he's done nothing.
0: No, to he's done multiple be, be crimes, multiple crimes, multiple and crimes. And again, Even while the, a police the officer- other thing I'll speak to again in terms of his intelligence is again. J- uh, retiring. Announcing his retirement just in time to make sure that he gets that pension and just in time yeah. to make sure that internal affairs can't do the investigation. This guy's not dumb. And by the way, yeah. few narcissists are dumb. There is a real, again, when you start reading, there's a correlation between high intellect. You have to be yeah. to be that kind of manipulator. Um, So, again, these just to me, again, it's just painting even more of that profile that – is proof to me that that he he knew what he was doing. And that is the reason why he was Matthew McConaughey and dazed and confused. I love high school girls. I get older, they stay the same age. I'm not being glib. There's a reason why. He was he was a very masterful manipulator. And all of them talked about how when it was good, it was so good. And that is a again a very common trait with abusers, obviously. Yeah. Um the fact that then he gets arrested for this possession of an illegal weapon and the illegal transfer of it this is proof even more he he thought that he was smarter than everybody he thought that he was above the law it's like what are you doing you know you've committed these murders drew yep. and you're going elic- to you're going to engage in illegal activity that now that's the one dumb thing but the whole point is is that it's not dumb as an in intellect it's dumb as in the personality disorder tells him that you'll never get caught you're above the law you're smarter than all right. of them and of course, not always the case. Uh, the specific of the 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 gash on Kathleen's head being that it was thought she hit her head on the tub, but there was no transfer of blood. As you were starting to like go through those details, I was like, "How on earth did this get marked as a as an accident?" And then, of course, you get into that those specifics too, where it makes zero sense. As her best friend pointed out, if she's actively taking a bath. Why is her hair not up? Why is her jewelry not on? Those two things we can probably, a jury could probably go like, well, maybe this is the one day she didn't. But what you can't do is there's no bath mat. There's no towels. There's no robe. You're not taking a bath. Nope. What human being? It just, it defies logic. And again, it's another one of those things where it's like, Drew, you didn't stage the scene well enough. You got 90% nope. there.
3: You got Blood. On her, I assume her head was bleeding while yep. he was drowning her yep. in the toilet and he got blood between the tub and the toilet and wanted it all in the tub so it looked like yep. she slipped and had her head in the tub and don't, or whatever he feels she did. Don't so, you
0: also think that she was clothed at the time and the clothes that Stacy said he brought home and put in the washer were her bloody clothes? She was absolutely not bathing at the time that not. he got
3: there. He was like – he thought that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to stage it to make it look that way. A hundred percent.
0: The other thing I have to say too, just jumping ahead for a second, the specific that he would have drowned her in the toilet is such a sign of like just such disrespect and and thinking of someone, um, such a level of like anger, wanting to humiliate, wanting to – you know what I mean? Like it just it just again, it just adds to the the profile we're already making, which is like, yeah, I buy that. I definitely buy <laughs> that. That seemed to be again in the in the wheelhouse. Um, the quote about a housewife's biggest fear, I'm so glad that you commented on that because I was like, oh, I just feel like there's so many other fears, you know, oh, I know it's, it's like just so offensive.
3: the where you ask a. Man, what's his biggest concern about meeting a woman from online dating? And he's like, wow, that she's not going to look, that she's going to be older than she looks. She won't look like her picture. She'll be fat. Yep. One of these kinds of things. Yep. And then you ask women and they're like, that he'll murder me. Yep. So it's like, just don't talk about housewives if you've never been one.
0: Don't talk about any a female experience. How about that? Any respect. How about it? Be nice. Just don't. It'd be yeah. Nice. yeah, wouldn't it? Um, the fact, again, that this cop handling the case didn't properly seal the crime scene. His first homicide investigation, he went along with what the, you know, Emmy or or whoever was on the scene at the time said in the moment. The fact that he let Drew sit in on Stacy's statement. I mean, there's just so many. Yeah. We're, we got so many strikes here.
3: Especially because um, that would have been like a professional courtesy one cop to another. Oh yeah! 100%. It's like I would love if you investigated cops even harder than you investigated regular people.
0: Yeah, I wish that that was the brotherhood and the and the peoplehood. I wish that that was that it was like we all hold this to such high regard that we're going to hold each other to that kind of regard. I wish it was yep. that. You know, it sucks. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh my god the fact that the the hearsay law then became called drew's law amazing um, couldn't him yelling i did not yell kathleen i did not kill kathleen and then his lawyer saying it was pathetic i just anytime a lawyer whose job it is to like just fight <laughs> whether they believe it or not anytime yep. like that's just again such a sign that drew is a maniac do you know what i mean like it's like that's like the lawyer was just like i can't do it for another second. I can't fake it for another second. Um now the- I just envision like in court, you just hear as soon as
3: he screams that his lawyer just goes, Jesus. <laughs> I envision that in just like a come oh, on. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I'm de- like at that point he's just closing the briefcase yep. and is like I'm good. Yeah, he's
0: like just it's fine. He's gonna turn on me. He's gonna he's gonna accuse me of doing improper counsel eventually. Now, which of course he did. Um, oh yeah, classic. Classic. All the killers do. Anyway, yeah. Um, this the specifics of this murder for hire plot. Oh my god, I, this is information I did not have prior to this for sure. So. So many details I just need to take a minute with because it's truly, uh, it shouldn't delight me, but it does. Nice. Yes. Yeah. The fact, again, that it's like, he's such a narcissist in the truest sense that he's like, I can pull this off. I'll I'll get to, I'll make friends with this scary guy here in jail and he'll help me pull the off The this- beast. The beast. The beast who clearly is like, thank you, sir. You just gave me a ticket to have less time in jail. Like, why would you ever trust yeah. him, Drew? You fool. You fool, you yeah. fool. And then the specific of yeah. like, oh, well, I was just going along with the grift to, d- to help him try and get less time in prison. Come on. You've done nothing f-
3: solely out of the goodness of your heart for another human Ever. Being.
0: Ever. 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 Uh, then the fact that he was getting attacked in prison, they had to move him around. I was like, mm-hmm. Um, now listen. One other thing. Before I comment on, on on one last thing. So two things. First thing is, the one thing I do think is very sad is that he was convicted of killing Kathleen. I don't know what the exact charge was he was convicted of. But how many years was he sentenced to? He got 38 years for her murder and 40 years for well hiring a hitman. And man. that's the thing that I find sad is that it was yep. 38 years when he murdered his wife who, again, had asked for help, reached out, done all of yeah. the things that you're told to do. But then a murder-for-hire plot to take out a hit... That didn't get anywhere Didn't close get anywhere. To you get 40 years for that. Now, I understand that it could be that the thought was that, well, it was a harsher sentence because he was already in jail for this other thing. I get that. But I just sure. think energetically for me, it just makes me very sad for Kathleen as a woman that her yes. death was... Not considered to be as, uh, you know, th- that it wasn't as harsh the a The worst thing he did. Right. Yeah. I don't like that. Oh, I agree. Um, now, very quickly, one other synchronicity I saw, because, of course, we're talking about the, of course, prolific Peterson last name. And we know, that, again, there's these three <laughs> yep. real trifecta of shit. Um, yeah. But uh, Lacey. Lacey. Lacey was yeah. a name in Stacy's life. Stacy's yeah. sister that she then named one of she and Drew's children after, Lacey. Of yeah. course, Lacey and Scott Peterson. I mean, that popped out at me in the moment too, where I was like, it's another one just like Kathleen. Isn't that wild? Yeah. That it's there's something. It's and crazy. I don't know what it is. The fact that mm-hmm. Drew and Stacy uh well, no, I guess Kathleen too. No, I guess so it wasn't just Stacy. Yeah, I guess the fact that the fact that Drew is the connection to the two of them that each one of those other men have some connection to another name associated with Drew just feels, I don't know. I'm not going to get into astral projection kind of conjecturing, but (laughs) just saying. Uh, And now, of course, the last thing I wanted to to mention, because obviously if anyone's bringing up Scott Peterson, no one has been following that case harder than me. Uh, (laughs) Truly, truly, (laughs) since its inception. So uh, I know there's probably a lot of listeners who are also like, in the moment, as Christy was was talking about him, we're like, there's so much going on, and I find it fascinating that there is this real push that he may be innocent. Sure. And as of now, he is of course still in jail, no longer on the death penalty. Obviously, life in prison. Um, but I'm very curious to see what happens coming up in that case because there has a, been a real push that there is evidence now saying that he maybe didn't actually do it and huh. it's interesting because if he didn't do the crime oh scott <laughs> you fucked yourself so hard yeah. in so many different ways like yeah. if he didn't commit that crime and listen i'm yeah. not up to the moment but this is inspiring me you know i'll um i'll read up uh If he legitimately didn't, which, again, I'm not saying is the truth. I'm just saying there has been conjecture happening, especially recently, about that being a real possibility. What actions to take? What actions to take? And I'm not saying that it's like, well, you deserve to be put in jail anyway, then. That's not what I'm saying, obviously. Uh, Of course, we want justice for victims by prosecuting the people who actually did the crime. That is the only way that justice is served. But what a dummy is what I have to say. If that's what comes out, it's like, yeah. what a dum-dum. You really buried yourself in yes. lies and lies that are so twisted and so dark. I mean, being on the phone to his mistress saying that he's in Paris when he is actually for New Year's, when he's actually at the vigil, the vigil for Lacey. The details are just. Awful, Because it's one of those things yeah. where, and I'm going to just, I'll touch on this very briefly and then I'll let it go. It's one of those things where if somehow he did not commit that crime, which I'm not convinced of yet, sure. but if he didn't, and he had somehow also, weeks before Lacey died, told his mistress, my wife has died. When your wife, cir- coincidentally in this alternate theory goes missing two weeks later, I'm going to say it. Maybe you halt the brakes. Maybe you go, ah, find a new girlfriend. I'm going to have to, I got to do some, I got to pull back on everything. Yep. If not because you're a normal human and being with a real set of emotions, feelings, thoughts, empathy, all of the above, but if for no other reason than to protect yourself, you heard it from me, regardless of the truth, dumb, dumb, dummy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah honestly yeah those are my thoughts so i don't know if you have anything and then, further and leave. then like
3: her body being found and him being like well shit i better leave town
0: bad decision after bad decision yeah he really again yeah. like it's 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 fascinating the dying of the hair like being caught with the things he was caught with like it was like yeah And I understand the fear of, oh, shit, I told someone my wife was dead when she wasn't, and now she's gone missing or later turning up dead. Yeah. I have to try and cover my ass because I'm going to look guilty when I didn't do this crime. Sure. If that was the case, I can understand that line of thought. But you go at that point, to me, it's like that's when you have to go. You have to come clean. You have to go to the police and say. Someone is going to come to you and tell you this. I absolutely did that. I'm a bad guy. Didn't kill my wife. I will do anything to help you. And that's all you can do. for For your own, for your own, uh, you know, well-being in terms of staying out of prison and all of the above. And I'm taking out again empathy, feelings, having a soul. All of those kinds of things that the rest of us would probably feel. But anyway. Of course. That's the end of my thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that.
3: Just uh all three uh sp- specifically Peterson men. Yeah. we just pieces of shit in different ways. Yeah. Mostly the same. Mostly for just like mistreating their wives.
0: Yes. But yeah. I have issue with all three of them. Again, trifective shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, listen, Christy Oxborough, fantastic episode as always, impeccably researched. Uh, again, I was I was reminded of horrors and, and I learned new ones. So I thank you for that <laughs> today. I, I thought this might hit a certain way because we're talking dirty cop. Oh, it's again. As we know, yeah, my biggest fears. Um, and thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails. On Twitter at Not Detectives. And if you'd like a little bit more, a little, uh, a few bonus episodes, a live monthly Q and A, all of the above, go to Patreon.com/slash True Crime and Cocktails to learn more about our subscription-based series over there. And finally, of course, if you are interested in True Crime and Cocktails official merch, go to TrueCrewMerch.com, the only place to find it. And again, I do recommend by the end of this week, if you want that in time for the holidays, I think that's the only way it can be uh, guaranteed. Um, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Oh, no, wait. I I skipped ahead. (laughs) Do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? I I can squeeze
3: it in. Uh, On the next True Crime and Cocktails... The Santa Claus Bank Robbery.
0: Oh, my word. We're talking theme. We're talking holidays. We're talking ho, ho, hold up your hands and give me all your money. <laughs> I really, I went for something there. I loved it. I can't wait. Loved I know nothing it. about this and I cannot wait to hear all about it. Now, Christy, <laughs> do you want to say goodnight to the people? <laughs> goodnight, Dave Gould. Good Goodnight, Peaches.